Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. Today is National Women Physicians Day. And it's a great day and I'm, I'm happy to be able to release an episode today and my guest is Dr. Ashley Winter. Dr. Winter is a urologist and a specialist in sexual medicine for all genders. She has also emerged like a comet <laughs> as a critical voice on social media, as a hysterical voice on social media, and as someone who is right there at the nexus of how leveraging influence on social media illustrates the wholeness of physicians and healthcare professionals in America and how it can help drive our careers forward and change the narrative and change perspectives around this work. She was absolutely phenomenal, and I think you're going to really enjoy hearing what she has to say. I certainly did. I am also delighted to announce that the Explore the Space merchandise shop is now open. You can go to www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch and see what we have there. I am incredibly proud of this. It was an almost two-year journey to get this up and running. I got to collaborate with some incredible artists, and I'm really, really delighted with the products that are there. If you do decide to pick something, when you get it, please do take a picture of it, share it on social media with the hashtag ETS merch. We can all follow along that way. That would be awesome. Now to help celebrate National Women Physicians Day, here's Dr. Ashley Winter. Ashley, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. How many podcast interviews, Twitter pings, interview requests in general. What what has the last six months been like? I don't understand really what's happened, but my Twitter <laughs> has exploded, yeah, uh, exploded. In, the la- in the last few months. You know, I've been on Twitter since 2007, <laughs> which is <laughs> like, I remember actually, I, I'm an NPR nerd. So I remember I was in med school at the time and which also makes me feel feel old. Uh, but I was I was in med school and it was 2007 and I was listening to an NPR story about a new program called Twitter and I was like oh that sounds cool and I made an account and then I like sent something out into the ether and was like this is boring and then I didn't look at it again probably <laughs> for another five years but at least I have the credibility of of being like oh yeah I've been here a long time but yeah so so it was I you know kind of hanging out and and I think I had I remember thinking actually back in 2020. Uh, oh, by the time the pandemic's over in three months, I hope I get 5,000 followers. And now I'm at like 62,000. And so that means that the pandemic has been going on way too long. <laughs> if you had to um, speculate what has allowed this, if you were to think, because obviously I, I would imagine people ask, like, how do I get to 62,000? What What are the things that you feel like 
you're doing on social media, acknowledging you're a busy surgeon, you've got a busy clinical practice, you've got a full life, not on Twitter, not on social media. What are you thinking? What what do you think are the things that you do that you think about that you put out into the world that resonate with people who consume Twitter content where they say, yep, that's someone I want to follow. That's someone I want to engage with. Sure. I, I feel bad using such a word as this, but I, I think the main thing is authenticity. Um, you know, when I first was doing it, um, uh, in residency, like, you know, obviously I, I logged, signed up in 2007 and then didn't use it again for, for a many number of years. And then I think primarily I went back to using it and seeing the way people were using it at conferences, right. Where a lot of doctors are like, here's a great abstract. And, or like, I'm presenting something I'm honored to present this. Right. And that is all really Im- important for information sharing. Um, but you can also read research studies by going on PubMed, right? And, um, you know, people want to feel like who you are and what are you experiencing day to day and what is your opinion of that, right? And and I think just kind of coalescing your interests and your personality in an authentic way just draws people in, right? So So instead of me saying, like, I have to be a robot that says, I'm at a conference and I presented this, or this is a great abstract instead saying like, Oh, this is right. I, I am a urologist and I love doing sexual medicine, but I also love, you know, makeup and shoes and making fun of my husband. And, and that makes people care and see that you're like multidimensional. And I, I just think that that gives you, you know, a, a yeah, <laughs> uh, you that, know, that answer satisfies and delights because on the show for a while, a point of emphasis for me with people that I like to have on the show and talk with is this idea that as physicians, it's a different model than we used to think about ourselves when, you know, you and I are, are not that far apart in, in when we trained and went to medical school, that we actually are whole people, that we're not just these stoic people in the castle on a hill sharing abstracts and posters, that we have full rich lives alongside amplifying right next to our practice of medicine. And so being able to do that is an illustration that I think people really want to see that. And I will also say you're fucking hilarious. You're really fun. Like (laughs) that is a skill that I don't have on social media. You are legit funny. Thank you. That, that means so much to me. I don't really think very often that I I'm funny, but, uh, (laughs) but I guess it's just come through on the internet. So it it is, it's remarkable how you can translate humor into 280 characters. Honestly, like, I'm also active on Twitter. I don't try to be funny. Um, in real <laughs> life, I like to think of myself as being funny and being able yeah. to like, crack jokes and you know be witty. And but I don't even try on Twitter because uh, the couple of times that I have, when I look back at it, I'm like, that didn't work. That's just it, it, I don't understand how to uh, like pull those levers in a way that reflects me. And I don't want to tell a joke because that's right. not my thing either. So compliments to you, credit to you for seeing that you have the skill and that you have a good sense of humor and then within 280 characters and maybe with a picture or a link executing because legit <laughs> on the regular your twitter feed is funny well thank you i mean i do think i i have an unfair advantage being in urology uh you know i mean you just get <laughs> it all does lend itself well yeah yeah i mean definitely i mean <laughs> you know i i just like 
everything that happens between you and a patient while you're doing a vasectomy on them is just hilarious. You know what I mean? Like you just, <laughs> I, I mean, how is somebody who like does, I don't know, like how does a, a rheumatologist, I mean, I know rheumatologists who are funny. It's just not so overtly easy to make jokes about, you know, you know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so, and you know, my other thing, just circling back to our initial discussion um, that I, I have also realized to do is to pick a few topics over a period of time and say them again and again and again and again and again. Um, you know, I realized that people who are really big in urology in the academic world at conferences were saying the same thing again and again and again and again, right, for like decades. Like I remember if you go to the session on Peyronie's, which is, you know, penile curvature with erection, there was this really famous urologist who would get up to the mic at the end of everything and be like, so what do you think about using traction? Right. And after ever and traction. And when that guy would stand up, you'd be like, oh, I know what he's going to ask about. And so he was linking his name with a concept. Right. Not just once, but again and again and again and again and again. And to make a message that sticks with people, you have to do that. Right. So like I'm always talking about vaginal estrogen and whenever somebody, you know, and I'm saying it so much that it's actually getting to the point where it's changing people's practice. Right. And people are coming to me and saying, hey, I did something because of your social media presence. And I probably had to talk about it a hundred times before that started happening. Right. And that's another way to make an impact. So we all think that we have to be innovative. And by to be innovative, you have to say something and then move on and then find a new thing to talk about. But no, you really have to talk about the same thing a gazillion times. <laughs> and you can always move on to stuff, but pick a few topics and drill down on them and you will make an impression on people. So I think that's the other when we talk about, you know, not just leaving an impression of your personality, but but leaving a lasting impression with respect to your content. I think don't overthink it, like pick a few things that you care about and say them a million times over. <laughs> so yeah, you you can see right, this is an audio only podcast, but you can see as we're talking, I'm grinning. As you say this, <laughs> I launched the explore the space merchandise store yesterday. Amazing. It is built around exactly what you just said. Four phrases that mean a great deal to me that when I'm interacting on social media and on the show that I say a lot. That's the stuff that's actually in the store that felt resonant enough for me to say, I actually want to put this out into the world as a product with, you know, kick-ass art from brilliant artists, took a couple of years. to. Do. I share all that, advertise the merch store, of course, but <laughs> what you just said, I won, I mean, a hundred percent, like there's DNA there that clearly is shared around consistency, authenticity, integrity, focus, and then also like accurate deployment of whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. One hopes it resonates, but I, I, again, another compliment to you, like that is a great philosophy of a way to build connection, not to get followers, not to be like, okay, cool. Now I have 30 to create impact and to build a coalition and to help people feel like they're part of something. It's extraordinarily resonant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're right. It's, it's not, the end goal is not to get the followers. The end goal is to say, how am I taking the, the issues I care about and taking them beyond just the one-to-one -one patient encounters that I have, right? Because, yes, direct patient care is super important, but you have so much more power when you 
amplify these things, right? So for example, if we go back to the vaginal estrogen, right, it's like level one evidence that it reduces recurrent urinary tract infections, that it improves bladder urgency, frequency, uh, lubrication, all this really important stuff in postmenopausal women, right? And yet for some reason, it's just massively, massively underprescribed and it's super safe, super easy to do, right? And so I said, okay, I can only help so many patients, right? I mean, A, probably 75% of my patients are male, so I don't even get that many patients I can help with this through my door. Uh, So it's like, how do I help more than that? And also, how do we change that narrative on a larger scale, right? And I can't do that just in my clinic. Um, And you can't really even do that you know, I mean, you can do that with research studies, but the research has already been done, right? So how do you take something? I mean, we always talk about how in medicine, you know, like practice falls behind the the data like a, by a decade or something. Well, this is something that's probably practice has fallen behind the data by like three decades. So the the work has been done in terms of, you know, the, the data. How are we doing the work to implement on a broad level, the understanding that this is something that needs to be done all the time. (laughs) And, you know, that's where social media comes in. And I I feel very strongly that I have had, uh, you know, if not hundreds of people at this point, tell me that they have talked to their doctor about it, or they have prescribed it themselves because of a message I got out there. And that's crazy, right? And I do think that will continue to amplify. And, you know, that's a way I think burnout I'm like rambling here, but, you know, burnout is so real. And I think part of that is because it's really hard to feel passionate in the midst of a super crazy, super busy, super documentation laden average workday. And for me to say, oh, this is something I'm not just going to compartmentalize and be done with at the end of the day because I'm burnt out, but like actually remind myself why I care about medicine is to be able to talk about these things and, and, and you know, expand them beyond my reach. So, so yeah. I don't do, I don't like hyperbole, but what <laughs> I say, I don't say this to sound hyperbolic. I would submit hearing you describing that, that it, you've done two things. One is you've laid out a central tension slash opportunity for people in our place in our career and behind us, where for such a long time, the science, the learning, the enthusiasm and the energy was packed into the hospital or the office. It was not shared with the public at large. We weren't going to where the people were. You're breaking that mold and you're demonstrating how to do it. And in the same place, it's a tipping point. You're at, you are at a nexus of how we're going to grow our profession, interact with the public at large, bring us all closer together so that really important, high impact, effective and safe uh, strategies to improve health, like vaginal estrogen, become normalized, where for so long, they weren't talked about. Now, this is just something that's normal in the discourse. It's not part of the wellness. You know, it's not part of the what's the term that 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 Jen likes the wellness industrial complex. It's not part Uh. of that. It's, (laughs) it's right. It's it's just it's just the good practice of allopathic medicine. Right. That sort of thing for me is incredibly (laughs) exciting. Right. That's that's really, really sexy stuff because the impact is massive. It's it's fun. It builds community and it helps people feel like they're part of something larger. Yeah. Uh, And and like you were saying, it, it was. Kind of okay in the past when. These discussions were kept to the doctor's office because 
there wasn't a way that bad information in these spaces was really getting out. I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, people probably just weren't talking about a lot of these things at all, right? Or there was minimal information about sexual health at all. Um, but at least there wasn't bad information, right? So right. so if patient had no information, then they went to the doctor's office and then they got some information that was evidence-based, hopefully. Uh, but now, you know, when people have questions, particularly in this, you know, wellness space or sexual health space, you know, then you go online and there's, you know, uh, millions of, of health internet, social media gurus, and there are people out there who are doing a fantastic job and are doing evidence-based things. But then there's a lot, uh, who unfortunately are not. And if we don't, you know, come face to face with the fact that that this is the the new ground of of information sharing and we don't join that space then uh we will 100% lose our relevance and um i mean we see already what's happened with with obviously you know general population based understanding of, of infectious disease uh we have arguably lost that uh war <laughs> you know and and you know we just have to aggressively fall in uh to being relevant as as you know yeah. good allopathic uh care providers you know <laughs> that's right that's right have you has this changed though the way you thought Thought about the arc of your career, what you are now capable of doing compared to maybe five years ago, where you sit now with the expansive audience that you have with, as you listed, right, the variety of things that you like to talk about, how it improves your sense of professional satisfaction and well-being, the impact that you're having on, on the community around you and, and society at large. Has that changed the way you think about what you might do with your career as opposed to five years ago? You know, I, I actually think the biggest turning point in the way I thought about this was when I, um, like when I was in residency, I was on this TV show called NY Med. Um, that was like a medical docudrama. It was on ABC. Uh, I think the first, the, there was a series called like Boston Med um, that that was on like uh, people based in, you know, Boston. And then they did two seasons in New York. And I was on the second season. And um you know, I didn't ever intend to be on television. I, I thought I was going to be a doctor and not ever kind of engage in the social or broader conversation. Um, and then, you know, they ended up following me around for like six months and I ended up actually on TV and then it came on and it was on primetime on ABC and there was 8 million viewers in real time. And I said, oh my God, this is this is crazy. Right. And I mean, it was only probably, um, you know, some total between two episodes of, you know, maybe 20 minutes or so, but, but it was this crazy feeling because it, you know, not, not, I, I always perceived of myself as living a very small life. Right. And not, and what I mean by that is not some, not a life in a, in any sort of public sphere. Right. Like I, I was like, you know, I'll get a job and I'll be in the middle class person and I'll have my family and, and that's what I want. Right. Like, like my husband, you know, grew up pursuing, I mean, wanted to be in comedy and wanted to be on TV and he had all these like big plans and I never wanted to do any of that, but, um, but yeah. And so, and so the, the point being that, you know, in kind of this instant, I went from somebody who, uh, had a lot of social anxiety and had had no friends in high school and never went to prom and was a big nerd. And then suddenly I was on 
national television. And it was just this like, oh, you know, you can do you can do many things, right? And and you don't have, just because you were like a nerd and you were scared, scared of boys when you were 15, uh, doesn't mean you can't try to be aspirational in terms of your reach in your life, right? And, and that's not right for everybody, but I found that I was very excited by it, right? And there were all these people in the hospital who were like, don't do this, this is a bad idea, you're kind of compromising your integrity, don't let them follow you around. I'm like, A, the hospital administration consented on behalf of the employees to participate in this, so whatever. <laughs> like, And if they want to follow me around, let them follow me around, you know? And it, it was, I, I don't know, it was just kind of this very invigorating experience. Um, and then, and then after that, it, it made me more interested in doing social media, uh, you know, not necessarily knowing where it would go, but with the hope, you know, that over time, I don't know, like, it's just exciting. <laughs> so that's it. But then you can do a doc, be a doctor and, and also do that, you know. You can be pluripotent, right? As you said, you discover that you have these interests and skills and you're not limited because you didn't do it at some point when you society may have thought you should have junior high or high school or whatever, you right. still have the opportunity to branch out and do things the way you want and for it to be resonant. That does feel like a critically important lesson for our colleagues in healthcare to remember. And it's something that I talk about a lot. And it's something that's really important to me that, again, just to circle back on this idea that you have the opportunity to be a whole person is this something that you're getting asked about, not just by me on a podcast, but like, do people reach out colleagues, maybe that you work with uh, professionally or through social media? Do people sort of reach out and say, look, I, I get the sense that you are doing lots of different things and you represent the things that you like, aside from the practice of urologic surgery, right? Makeup and high fashion <laughs> and comedy and you goofing around with your husband. Do people ask like, how, is, this is a skill set I want to develop too. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, first off, about the high fashion, I buy like half my clothes at TJ Maxx, so I can't be. I don't. I and I, I, I on principle think I'll never buy a Chanel purse because I'd rather buy. It a doesn't car. have to be expensive to look <laughs> but, cool. Um, but in terms, of, I mean, people definitely reach out to me. I mean, it's this funny thing. Like I was just yeah. on this podcast of the Curbsiders. Uh, like, and it was released recently. And I, I got, like to take the credit for them because I had them on Explore the Space before they became like super huge. So I like to say that it was all me. It wasn't. They're <laughs> fabulous. But yeah, I, I, they're great. They're, it was amazing. But, you know, at like 1230 a.m. on like Sunday night, this hospitalist that I don't know that I, in my work at the hospital I work at was like, I just listened to your episode and I, I thought it was great. <laughs> you know, and I was like, that's cool. You know, like, I, I mean, I used to interact with other departments more pre pre pandemic, you know, like I would go and give a lecture at the primary care department about sexual health or something. But, you know, since the pandemic, it's been we've just been so siloed. So it's kind of exciting that these things I'm doing that are very far from my day to day life actually are coming back yeah. to my day to day life and, you know, getting feedback on that or, um, you know, like nobody on my in my department follows me on Twitter. But then the for years. And then two weeks ago, this guy was like, Oh, I, I, you know, I found out you're on Twitter and that's so cool. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's cool seeing that, that, um, you know, crosstalk back and forth. I, yeah. I don't know. I, in terms of people asking me for like advice, 
I, I don't know. People, I, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people have asked me for advice. <laughs> they might be accessing it, it, it. It's possible that because you are, you're sort of demonstrating the advice already that maybe they're sort of gathering it just by kind of observation as opposed to needing to ask the question. Cause you certainly aren't like holding back on the strategies that you already laid out around what you're doing and kind of how to do it in a way that's right and meaningful and authentic. Uh, this is a fun one though for me. So I've changed jobs, residency, 10 years, changed jobs. Most physicians over the course of their career will change jobs once, twice, a few times. I don't know what the date is, but it's, we, we move around. We're, we're a very mobile group at the women in medicine summit. Vinnie Rohr and I had a conversation on a roundtable about what we'll be doing to recruit physicians in the future and what things will be on the table. And for you as someone with a big social media profile who has lots of cool ideas, who does really cool stuff, do you think that the things that you would want to see in a professional contract will be different when you look for a job in 20 years or five years, if and when you ever did, or have to renew a contract to say, I would like to see these things based upon the work that I do on social media to, to think about the intellectual property that you create and how you would like to see it merge with the professional work, the quote unquote professional work that you do. Yeah. That, she and I, we like, we went deep. It was really interesting. Well, I'm, I'm curious. What are some of your primary thoughts there? My big one. Thank you for asking. <laughs> the big <laughs> one I had is so in college sports for forever, the NCAA would not allow college athletes to profit off of their name, image, or likeness in any way at all. And if they did, they it was it was horrible. It was just this terrible, terrible system. And they fought it for years. And there was gaslighting and all this stuff because this is billions of dollars at stake. So athletes now have name, image, and likeness rights and immediately have started to profit from it. The first athlete who signed the biggest contract, because everyone would say, oh, it's not going to be fair. The first athlete who signed the biggest contract was on the women's volleyball team at the University of Arizona. And she signed this massive deal based around the fact that she has, I think it's like 4 million Instagram followers. Wow. And physicians are going to, if not already be in that same sort of a place. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't an organization say, Dr. Winter, your recommendations are excellent. Your training is superb. Your patients love you. We would like you to be here for those things. We also acknowledge that you are great at getting to the people where they live. You have a big social media following. You do all of these other things that will, let's be pragmatic, attract business to our statewide, multi-state, whatever entity we have here. How can we incentivize you to bring that whole space, that whole person to our organization? Yeah, this is a, a phenomenal discussion. I, you, what you're talking about is really jobs acknowledging that this is an essential function, right? Like you work in academia, you get FTE, right? You get like, or not everybody, but some people will get dedicated research time with the understanding that that is of value, right? And so the question is, how do we even begin to acknowledge that this needs to be a fundamental role of a physician, right? Not just, not just patient care research, but patient care research, you know, education, 
and and how that manifests in social media or you know public information right um and and that is not incorporated into current you know compensation schemes it's not incorporated it's not you know like in academics in the or or a university hospital right like if you have uh, you know new faculty being trained on like how to get uh, you know, grant money and whatever, like maybe you need to have somebody do an in-service with them on like, how do you do social media? Right. I mean, so, so, so to what extent, right. But, but the unfortunate thing is not only have we not gotten to a point in where we recognize that this is a fundamental thing that we need to do, that we absolutely must do because we must do it as we were talking about before. Uh, if we are to combat inf- misinformation, if we are to combat uh, you know, if we are to stay relevant, if we are to make people choose our advice before, you know, the the ivermectin soothsayers, you know, like we we have to do this. But unfortunately, we're not even at that place yet, right? We're at the place of trying to get over stigmatizing it, right? And what I mean by that is like when I did that show, for example. Right. It was a show that was signed off by the legal team of our hospital. The the hospital consented on behalf of the employees to participate. And still, most of the physicians would shy away from participating, uh, you know, tell the camera guys like, no, I'm not doing it. And people would tell me, why are you letting them do that? This is a lot professional liability. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm a resident. I'm walking around in scrubs, like walking over to see an ER console. I have a camera guy follow me. Like I'm not on girls gone wild. What are you like? What is, what is, you know, like this concept that if you engage in content, that's not intended for an academic journal, that you're somehow debasing your professional reputation, right. Or that you're doing something. And so we're at the place where it's changed dramatically, right. I mean, that was probably at this point, 10 years ago and it's changed dramatically since then, but it's still, it's still an issue. I mean, people still say, Oh, I have to be careful. I can't right? Like I can only tweet about, you know, urology and, and, and look, I'm not saying you, you obviously be appropriate, be respectful. You know, you can, you can stay out of politics if you want, you know, whatever, but, but being yourself on the internet should not be contrary to existing as a physician, uh, you know, and, and I, we have a remarkable way to go and I would love to see everything you mentioned. Um, you know, everything, everything we need to, we need to incentivize that we honestly, and I know it sounds so perverse, but like we need to incentivize doctors to be influencers. If, if we are going to stay relevant, <laughs> it, it must happen. If, if I was running, a big organization, which I don't part of the strategic vision would be to actively recruit physicians like yourself for your technical skills, for your surgical skills, for your clinical skills, for your collaborative skills, but also for your skills at understanding, growing and teaching how to influence using social media. Because that is such a powerful tool. And I think that the hopefully the days where, again, the gaslighting around why you shouldn't do it begin to recede. And I, I don't know if we're there yet or not, but 
the organizations that get out ahead of this are going to be really far ahead and they are going to recruit premium people. I would give you a godfather offer. It would be a massive deal saying, look, come here. You, you want to be a 0.6 surgeon, fine, 0.6 FTE surgeon. The rest of it, like you tell us, how do you want our massive organization to help promote what you're doing? And how can you in turn help promote us? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that sort of symbiotic relationship? To me, it seems like grab it. And the first ones that do, right, whoever gets, whenever an athlete signs the big free agent deal, it's always a big splashy thing. Whoever signs Dr. Ashley Winter in a big free agent deal, (laughs) it'll be a big deal, especially if you make it one. If you say, hey, I've just signed with X. Yeah. And that goes viral on Twitter. Then everyone else is going to say, well, I want to sign somebody else and I want to sign somebody it builds a momentum on itself. And I think that there's good track records to show how it could be done. And I think it would be really, really interesting to watch. I, I so agree with you. I mean, I remember, so I, I, you know, have a relationship with, uh, Dr. Drew, you know, like Dr. Drew Pinsky. Um, I've been on his podcast a few times and even his radio show, uh, you know, which was amazing because uh, like pre pandemic, I brought like a penile prosthesis into his radio show. And this was like a daytime broadcast radio show. And I brought in a penile implant and his co-host was inflating it. And we said the word penis probably, you know, 20 times. And I remember I walked out of the studio and the producer guy was just laughing, laughing like crazy. And he's like, uh, I was like, what's so funny? And he's like, well, you know, uh, because of um, like the FCC regulations, if, if, if you two weren't medical professionals, like for this daytime, uh, like radio, we would probably send like bleep out, you know, you saying penis, but but we can't do that because you're two doctors. So he's like, he's like this like daytime, you know, broadcast radio show has never heard the word penis so many times. Um, and I'm like, that's amazing. Uh, but the point being, every time I had him on, he had me on, right. We were talking about something about sexual health or menopause, menopause management or erectile dysfunction. And I remember I was interviewing for a job and I was talking to a, a, a chairman at a specific, um, you know, high profile place. And I was like, you know, mentioning that anecdote to say, like, I am so excited to be a urologist that I don't want to just do, you know, my surgery and see my patients and read the journal articles. Like I want to find everybody who will listen and I want them to hear what I have to say about urology. I want to find every single person, uh, no matter what their audience is and talk to them about this. And that's the critical piece. That's, that's the thing right there. That's the difference is that you're doing it to grow the impact of what you do professionally. You're not doing it in spite of, you're not doing it to get away from these things are in series. And that's what, if I was the recruiter, that's what I would want to say, look, you do all this, have fun. And do, but, but this is growing what we're doing. I have never seen more robust conversations about men's sexual health in my career since you and a few other folks on Twitter have really started to normalize it. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. It's, it's really wonderful. It's yeah. funny. It's clever. It's thoughtful. It's very kind, very welcoming. <laughs> I have never been a part of so much discourse around men's sexual health, the good, the bad, the otherwise, ever. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful for that. I think it's wonderful. And I'm excited to see what happens with it next. But what you just said to me is so important. The two things are not in opposition, right? Having fun, being creative, being humorous on social media and on the radio. 
this grows our profession. I think you're so wise to see that already. Well, and, and you know, as I was mentioned briefly before, it's also for me something that prevents burnout. Because if I, because if you are only, you know, a 15 minute patient encounter and you're only focused on your documentation and your operative duration, you are having the intellectual joy of medicine being like stripped out of you. Right. And, and so I don't have the time in every patient encounter to talk for an hour about sex, but if I can have 60,000 people hear an hour's worth of content about sex and get people to listen to it, that is allowing me to have that discussion. It's still allowing me to have that discussion and it's, it's maintaining my joy in being a doctor. Um, but, but circling back to that other story. So I had told this chairman, right. At this high profile place about that, that thing. And he was like, Oh no, no, we're not looking for that. We want somebody who's going to be, you know, focus on urology. They're not, they're not going to try to do that Hollywood stuff. And I was like, and, and you're talking about like gaslighting. I mean, I wanted somebody to be excited that I was trying to make people excited about this, right? I'm not, I don't want a job as a urologist so that I can leave urology and sell supplements on the internet. Like I want, (laughs) I want to be a urologist who is changing public narrative, right? And that doesn't, I don't think of this as some way to get on to become a television show host. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not about that. Um, and we have to change the way as a community of physicians that we perceive that engagement with social media as not like people trying to grift their way into, you know, some lucrative TV deal, but that this is something that really enhances our passion for what we do and improves public safety and, you know, and also can be a revenue generator because, you know, very honestly, people like patients, it speaks to more to them if they hear their doctor being funny on a popular podcast than if you pay some generic actor to do a TV ad, like our hospitals are nice with somebody walking down a beach, right? Like that doesn't mean anything. Uh, So there's also like a functionality, you know, in in terms of our real world practice. You are, you are wise. No, I, I agree with the way you see this hundred percent. I think we're, we're, we're painted with an old brush right? What you were just describing about how people may perceive you wanting to do this, that you're just seeking a big TV deal and then be on daytime television and make a bunch of money. That's sort of an old trope, I think at this point. Uh, and and we, it's important that we modernize it. And it's going to be, you know, folks like you that help drive that in a good and creative and a constructive way. Uh, and it's it's fun to watch it go. One of the things that I, I do use as sort of like a marker of what you're doing and the impact that you're having is how frequently you are tagged on images on Twitter that are a penis or a cloud that looks like a penis or a light that looks like a penis. It is, it's, it's, I mean, you have created this, people want to talk about men's genitalia and men's sexual health and spend time in that space in a way that honestly, I've never seen it before. And that's also on me because I've probably been afraid of it too. And as a, as a man, I'm grateful that you're creating this thing where we can all kind of be in this pool together and talk about these things and laugh about them in ways that don't make people feel terrible and build some community and some fun around this work. But you are tagged on it a lot. Oh my God. I I honestly don't even know how we got to this point. Like, I don't remember (laughs) saying, I, I don't even, I don't even 
think that I put that many things in my feed <laughs> myself that are just like, hey, this looks like a penis, I, honestly. But for some, like most of the time I put those things in my feed, it's because somebody tagged me in it. And, but I've just decided to roll with it because for some reason, anytime, any time, anybody sees anything that looks like a penis, they've just decided it, uh, it reminds them of me. And, you know, I am, I am totally okay with that because it is like you're saying for, for discussions about sex and not just sex, like in a sexy TV way, but in a sexual dysfunction way and in a sexual sex is health way for us to start normalizing that we just have to talk about it and we have to talk about it and 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 talk about it talk about it and you know if it comes if if the way that i normalize these discussions is through people tagging everything on the planet that looks like a penis with my name on it then like that's amazing and i love it and i really should try to do some like study where i look at how many people tag me things that look like penises cuz Totally. I, I mean, it's, totally. it's really a lot at this point. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So having said all of that, where do people find you on Twitter if they want to see the world's representation of, of different things that look like a penis <laughs> and so much more other great stuff? How do people find you? Where do they go on Twitter? Yeah, it's Ashley G. Winter. So A-S-H-L-E-Y and then G as in grape. Uh, and then winter like the season. And uh, yeah, and that's because I, uh, you know, I started my Twitter account long before I had an MD. So my handle uh, is not doctor anything because I, because <laughs> I got it in 2007. So. 2007. That's right. That's right. <laughs> this is really cool. I, I'm, I'm so excited about the trajectory that you're on, not just because, as I said, on, on Twitter, you're fucking hilarious, but I, the trajectory that you're on, I think the next like 10, five, you know, five, 10, 15 years of your career are going to help us better understand the moves that we make to bring that skill set to so many more people who then bring it to those that they seek to take care of. And for me, that's just aspirational stuff. This was awesome, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, well, thank you so much for for having me. Uh, I mean, I'm just we were planning this for a long time and I'm so glad it actually happened. Um, and like I was saying to you before, I just, I, I kind of do Twitter so much that I feel, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm personally friends with so many of you guys and it is, it's so satisfying to, to actually kind of talk to you in real time. Totally. Totally. Uh, totally. Uh, There's a real yeah. kinship that comes from that space. And I, I've actually allowed myself to just really embrace it and not feel like this isn't a friendship that I would have made when I was in elementary school. This, there's a kinship that's there. We're all going through some very strange times together. We all come to Twitter for different reasons, but there's very real community and, and fun and humor and learning and all of that stuff that that's there. And I'm delighted you're a part of it. And I think it's great that we get to then, you know, connect on these platforms and then see what comes next because there will absolutely be more. I know. I know. I can't, I can't wait for like, I don't know. I mean, the pandemic will never be over, but I, I, I can't wait for at some point in time when people do more things in person. And I don't know, maybe everyone can fun. hang out. That's <laughs> so. right. That's right. We're, we're going to have the monster Twitter hang up. But until then, Ashley, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. My thanks once again to Ashley for joining us on Explore the Space podcast. This was tremendous. I hope you really enjoyed it. I certainly did. Definitely follow her on Twitter at Ashley G. Winter. And thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. 
And thanks to you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can find the whole archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Definitely check out the new merchandise store, which you can find on the website. It's also www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. Hit me on Twitter at ETS show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show, email Mark at Explore the Space Show. We will be back soon with more great content. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.